Father, we celebrate the truth of that song this morning. And Lord, it's good to be able to declare it over and over and over again, Father, both as a proclamation, the confession, the fruit of our lips, but Lord, because it's true, you are faithful. Father, thank you for meeting us this morning, from early this morning. Thank you for meeting us last night, all evening. Thank you, Father, that your presence is here and has been here. And Father, we look forward to hearing what you have for us, O God, from your word. And so open our hearts, open our minds to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of his people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you would. This summer, as you know, we've been on this journey entitled Embracing True Significance, going along with the idea that the way we're created is we need to matter. In other words, our life, our lives need, need to be important. We need to feel like that we make a difference. And if we're honest about it, we all go to great lengths to, to, to make sure that we make a difference many times in our lives. But you know what? Here's truth. God created each of us unique, and in his sight, we make a difference. That's a good place for an amen. And this is the first time that I've been up here. I've been kind of down here. So let, let's just say that if, if the interaction doesn't happen because I'm up, I'm just going to move back down. Is that okay? So everyone say, I matter. I matter. My life is significant. Because God created me for a purpose. Now, in this journey, if you've been reading along all summer long, you, you know we've had these readings that Pastor Doug has scheduled for us. And, and Pastor Doug, brother, I don't know how you're here this morning. Didn't you drive all night long last night? <laughs> Amen. 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 Praise God. We're glad to have you back. Father, in fact, I'm just glad that you brought these men back. And Lord, we look forward to hearing what you've done in their lives this last week uh, as that's unpacked for us in the next few weeks. Uh, Lord, they were in a place that's probably not unlike where the children of Israel found themselves. And uh, so, Lord, we look forward to hearing more about that, Father, in Jesus' name. We've come this week to the end of Deuteronomy. It really marks the end of a chapter because it's at this time that Moses turns things over to Joshua, who is his protege, and says, okay, it's your turn. I'm basically done. And I've written here, kind of summing up, it says, Moses comes to the end of his journey with the Israelites. The Lord allows Moses to see the promised land from a distance, but will not allow him to enter because of the incident at Meribah. How many of you know what happened at Meribah? Well, a few of you do. More this service than in the last service. If you don't know, I encourage you to go look it up. In fact, I'm just curious. Here's true confession time. How many of you have been keeping up with the readings this summer? Oh, again, we have a more in this service than in some of our previous services. And if you didn't raise your hand just now, you know, that's okay because we still have several weeks in the summer months and it's not too late to catch up. Amen? Amen. 
Now, folks, the reason I'm making a point of this is because the whole purpose of today's message is to help us understand what the children of Israel failed to understand. It says here, the Lord calls Moses and Joshua to the tent of the meeting and commissions Joshua. He also informs Moses that in spite of everything, the Israelites will forsake the Lord and break his covenant. He commands Moses to write a song of testimony, which happens to be Deuteronomy 32. It's not in your reading, but it is a song. In fact, I've often wondered if in the hearts of uh, the Israelites, maybe Moses and some of the songs that he wrote were not unlike Never Once, that men like Matt Redman and other songs by men like Chris Tomlin had written, that kind of get in, inside. Did, did, did some of the men and women who were, who were party of that great band of Israelites wander the wilderness going, you are faithful. Never once have we ever walked alone. Scars and struggle on the way, yes, but with joy, I'm going to say, my heart's going to say never once. My, my hope is it did, but from what we, we can see in Scripture, we, we learn that a vast majority of them, in fact, did not. We'll see that in closer detail in just a few minutes. This song that Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 32 was, it was to stand as a witness, an accountability for them. And in Deuteronomy 33, he blesses the 12 tribes, and then he ascends to Mount Nebo. He sees the promised land and dies shortly after in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord had spoken to him. And so the Lord buries Moses in the valley uh, in the land of Moab, and Joshua begins to lead the Israelites and there's the new chapter. But we're not going to the new chapter today. We're going to camp out a little bit in this last little chapter. And if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you don't, you'll probably find one in the seat in front of you. And if there's not one in the seat in front of you, well, you should have brought your Bible and bring it next week. Amen? <laughs> but that's okay. I'm going to read it. And I encourage you to, to allow these words to seep in now and understand what's happening here. The book of Deuteronomy, basically, uh, Moses is summing up. He's giving the law. He's recounting everything that God has said. This is what you have to do. These are my commands. This is how I want you to live. And he's summing up. And we get to Deuteronomy chapter 30 toward the end of the book. And this is what we read, a very interesting passage. And the Lord your God, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Why? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now, I'm not going to unpack the circumcision thing because I don't have time this morning. Suffice it to know that what God is saying here is that something has to happen on the inside of us if we're going to love the Lord because, after all, that's what it's all about. The title of today's sermon is, How Then Shall We Live? We've come to this place of choice. If you'll read down a little further in chapter uh, 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today isn't too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is in your mouth and in your heart, folks. It is in your and in your heart. And we're going to see this is very, very important. 
if you'll skip on down to verse 19, it says, this is God talking. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Folks, it wasn't rocket science. God basically brought the children of Israel finally out of the wilderness, finally after 40 years, brought them to the land of milk and honey and said, okay, here it is. You have a choice, death or life. Knock on wood. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. And how does that choice, how did, first of all, how did that choice affect them? How does that choice affect us today? Make no mistake, it affects us today. That choice is one that we each still have to make every single day, as we're going to see. That brings us really to the first sermon point. What is this choice? This choice that's a matter of death and life, life or death. And as I mentioned, we see this Joshua generation. That's the children of those Israelites who were delivered from slavery in Egypt. They finally arrived to the promised land. And Moses reviews the covenant and, and, and the law with God's people as we've read here. And then if you want uh, to, to reflect on uh, the passage we just read and think about this choice, God urges us to choose life. Now, I'm going to give you scripture with each one of these bullets, and I encourage you to write them down. And furthermore, I encourage you to take these notes with each of these bullets and the scripture that you write and take some time this week and reflect on it. Go back and read it again. I believe that as you do that, the Lord will, will continue to press home some of the truth that will be before us today. So if you'll write down next to this Choose Life, John 15, verses 9 through 11. Now, remember, we're talking about this choice, choose life. What does it mean to choose life? Yes, Pastor Mark, I want to choose life. Well, what does that mean? How do I choose life? Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my, father, my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we see now that this choice brings a little price tag attached to it. And Jesus mentions it here. It's obedience. Okay? Well, after all, we have a new covenant in Christ. Unlike the Israelites, we, we are not bound to the law. Rather, we have life in Christ. Amen? Amen. I mean, if we've been born again, then, then he has fulfilled the law. He, he has paid the penalty for our sin. And, and as we trust in him and establish him as Lord, then we have a new covenant. That's what the Bible calls it. Those who have accepted Christ in faith are under this new covenant, sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, who resides within all those who call upon the name of Jesus. And that's just, I'm going to assume that most of us this morning probably have called on the name of Jesus. If you have, would you look at your neighbor in the eye and say, did you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in me? Okay. 
Okay, some of you don't seem too convinced, folks. Don't make me come down there. I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Now, you might want to write down this passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is what Paul writes. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law That's all of Deuteronomy that we were talking about a moment ago. Weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if Jesus has done this, if he has fulfilled the law in this way and he has redeemed us and has caused us to enjoy and understand and receive new life, well, what does that mean? Well, he tells us because within the scope of who he was and what he did, he reaffirmed that that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 about loving the Lord your God, but he also added a piece to it. And I wrote here, Jesus takes the choice a step further by telling his disciples that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that we're to also love others as ourselves. Write down this scripture, Mark 12 Verses 30 to 31. And you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your, with all of your, and with all of your, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment than these. Wait a minute, Lord, uh, Jesus, I've got to love my neighbor. I mean, if you check that, dude out? Really? I mean, we just, he's strange. Uh, she and I just don't get along. We, our personalities clash. We, we don't understand each other. We, we believe differently. And do you see how she raises her kids? Do you see where she shops? Did you see the boat that he has? I mean, who would, who would buy? I mean, seri- seriously? I mean, you kind of are smiling at me, but Folks, I'm as guilty as you are, and we all do this. We all allow our our frame of reference and how we think to build prejudices about how we consider and, and, and reference other people around us, and we allow those prejudices to determine how we're going to behave and respond to those people. Amen? Come on, it's true. You know that it is. And, and What's worse is many times we'll just look for opportunities to take offense because that person just rubs me the wrong way. And because they rub me the wrong way and I don't, I don't get them, the, the least little thing I'm just going to look for is that I go, uh-huh, you see, you see, Lord, I pray for them, just have mercy on them. And all along I should be praying, oh God, open my heart, teach me how to love. I know I'm meddling now, but hey, I just give it to you like the Lord gives it to me. Do you understand that this is the choice that we face? And do you understand that as believers and disciples of the Lord Jesus, we are defined by this choice? See, it's one thing to say, yes, God, I'll choose life. It's a whole different thing to say, okay, then I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yes, Father, I'm going to love others the way I love myself. 
In keeping with the Lord's prophecy in Deuteronomy 31, Israel's disobedience and rebellion throughout the ensuing centuries would continue to define them as a wandering people spiritually. Eventually, they would once again be taken captive, ceasing to exist as a nation for nearly 2,000 years until 1948. 2,000 years they, they did not even exist as a country because of their rebellion, because of their sin. Sadly, God's own people chose poorly, and I wrote in your notes, what about us? Do we understand how our choice defines us? The question is, really? Am I really a disciple or am I just religious? And by the point there, you can write this passage, John 15, chapter 15, verses 12 through 16. The choice we make to love and obey God and love others as ourselves defines us as true disciples of the living Christ rather than those who merely pay religious lip service. And this is what that passage says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And this is what I command, that you love one another. Folks, that comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. That's not something that Mark made up. So, Pastor Mark, okay, you're kind of making your point here, but seriously, how do I love others? It's hard. It is hard. And I found in my own life that there's only one way to really truly learn how to love, and that is through surrender and obedience. Scripture calls it dying, in a sense. It's really kind of the death of self. It's where I lay down my perceptions, my presuppositions, my prejudices, and I say, you know what? I don't care whether or not what this individual does or says resonates me, resonates with me or not, makes me feel good about myself or not. I'm going to love them for who they are because God created them and he loves them passionately. But in order for us to do that, I wrote here, our ability to choose well and live our lives by this choice that I just was talking about requires us to completely surrender our lives in obedience to how Christ instructs us to live. And if you want to write down these passages of Scripture, John chapter 12, verses 23 through 25, and Galatians 2.20. John 12, 23 through 25, and Galatians 2.20, it says this, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, whenever in Scripture you see the words truly, truly, Jesus, that means, hey, whoop, pay attention. This is truth, okay? This is eternal truth. This is important. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it 
for eternal life. And then uh, Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote, I've been crucified with Christ. Now think about this. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Remember a minute ago when you looked at your neighbor and said, the Holy Spirit lives within me. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's a pretty high price, folks. That's the length that the Father went to to bring us into the kind of relationship that would enable us to embrace true significance, make the choice to life, and learn how to love one another. But we have to die. Last night, my wife said, you know, Mark, you might want to just, because I kept saying to the congregation last night, you've got to die, you've got to die. She'd say, I'd hate for someone to misunderstand you. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. So obviously, it's a figurative death. It's a dying to self. It's laying aside your, your preferences, if you want to call it that, for the sake of someone else. This is what I love about our Lord. He doesn't just tell us to do something and say, go figure it out. He's shown us every step of the way. He's our example. And for this point, I've given you Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, Jesus in his own life was obedient. What did he say? I'm here. I'm here not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. I'm here to obey. You know the old hymn, trust and obey, cause there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but trust. Yeah, that's, that's it. That, that's the point of the whole thing. Yeah, Amen. Thank you, Marion. <laughs> um, so, so we see that he is our example. Now, as our example, as our redeemer, as the teacher, as the eternal one, the Lord Jesus Christ also has a few things to say. Because the next point, as you'll see in your notes, I've entitled The Narrow Gate. And, you know, growing up, I would read this passage in, in Matthew 7 in these verses, and it would always kind of trouble me a, a little bit. I'll be real honest, because yeah, I'm reading about this narrow gate, and Jesus is, like, warning his disciples, and he's saying, you know, enter the narrow gate. That's the gate to life, but it's narrow, and few are those who find it. And, you know, the gate to destruction is broad, and many are those, you know, who enter. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, I don't want to enter the, the, the wide gate. I don't want to enter the narrow gate, but it's hard. And how do I do that? I mean, where's the list? Is there a checklist? What do I do? How do I go down? And, and it, was, it was really was very intimidating to me. And I was seeking the Lord on this passage, preparing for the sermon. And the Lord said, whoa, 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 Mark, it's like a railroad track. I went, see, God and I have these conversations together. He said, okay, a railroad, it's a railroad track? What are you talking about? Railroad track, God. He said, it's like a railroad track. Think about a railroad track. It, it's two pieces of metal. They are affixed to the ground by big stakes that go through 
through ties, rail ties, and they're, they're perfectly perpendicular. And no matter how far they go or how many turns, they're the same distance apart. They never vary. The, the wheels of the cars and the engine of the train are designed to perfectly fit within those rails. And as long as those, those wheels are, are in the rails the way they're supposed to be, boy, that train can go over 200 miles an hour like some of them do. And, and it'll get to the destination and just, uh, just works really slick. But what happens if it's a quarter of an inch off? It doesn't work. It just goes right into the ground and the train doesn't go anywhere. Well, the Lord impressed upon my heart. He says, kind of like that. You see, Mark, th- this whole command to love does not allow for a great degree of variance. It's pretty straightforward. Either you do or you don't. Because we can make all the excuses to ourselves that we want to about another person and our demeanor and attitude toward them. But at the end of the day, none of those arguments are going to wash with God because his response is always going to be, yeah, but Mark, I shed my blood for that person. And if that person had been the only person who was ever lost, I would have come and sacrificed myself for them. Son, you got to love them the way that I do. That's the railroad track. That's the narrow gate, folks. My daughter, and this is the first point, uh, was always my oldest daughter, not the one who was playing the piano this morning. It's good to have Rachel home with us. My oldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was in high school, uh, would occasionally say, hey, Dad, let's go get some ice cream. Or, Dad, you know, can I do this? Or, Dad, would you do this? And, you you know, like all dads, you know, a big chunk of the time I'd say, oh, I, you know, I, gee, honey, I don't have time right now. And she'd say, Dad, love is a verb. And I'd go, okay. So, <laughs> so, so that's always stuck with me. Love is a verb. A careful study of the writings of John the Beloved makes it pretty clear that our love for God is demonstrated not in religious activity, but in our obedience to his instructions. And if you want to write down John 14, 23, And it says this, Jesus answered him and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, it's our obedience to the word of God that keeps us from derailing, that keeps us on that railway. How do we measure our obedience? Well, It's like I've been saying. I've written here, nowhere can our obedience to the Lord be more readily measured than in how we treat others. I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture, and these are very important. I'll say it two times. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 1 John 4, 7. And 1 John uh, 4, 16 through 21. So they're all in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Chapter 4, verse 7, and then chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And I'm going to read them all together, and this is what it says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit's stopping me. As he is, so are we in this world. How is the church going to look any different from the world if we don't truly understand how to love other people unconditionally without regard for their estate, what they've done, how they behave, how they even think and respond to us. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you know, if you only kind of hang out and love people who love you and get along with folks who get along with you, what profit does that have? The pagans do that. But you see, for us, the real test is when we step out and love someone who's unlovable. And that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wow, this is pretty heavy stuff. And folks, it doesn't really get any lighter because not only do we have this choice before us, this command, this narrow road, this narrow gate, this railway, but we also need to understand that where we live right now, this temporary home is filled with forces that, that we, have to, we have to comprehend. I wrote here in your notes, and you can follow along if you want under the fourth point, life for the citizens of planet Earth is changing more rapidly today than at any other time in the history of the human race. I call this cultural megatrends. It's not my definition. It was online. Unless properly anchored, we will find ourselves caught up in the cultural tide which engulfs us, helplessly carried along with our ability to properly make the choice compromised. So we must recognize the powerful forces that seek to reshape our minds and hearts to follow the pattern of this world. Did you get that last sentence? Folks, there are forces out there that every single day, many times a day, intentionally seek to try to reshape our hearts and our minds to make them conform to the pattern of this world. That's why I call this first bullet, the force is strong. <laughs> and I'm not talking about Star Wars. We must recognize the powerful forces that seek to reshape our hearts and our minds. If we don't, like the Israelites, we risk choosing poorly. And you can write down Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For that to happen, we must understand, a second point, that we are in this world. As I mentioned, it is a temporary home, but we are not of it. It's not our permanent place, folks. We're just passing through. And the scripture for this point, you can write down John chapter 15, verse 19, and Ephesians 2, uh, verses 18 and 19, and it says this. 
if you were uh, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. But because you were not of the world, in fact, this is Jesus talking to you and to me. So, so don't think of it in a historical context. But but think of it as he he's right. He's imagine him standing here, and he's saying this to me and to you right now. I'm going to reread that little first piece. Do not be conformed to this world. No, I'm sorry, here it is. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world's gonna hate you. For through me, again, this is Jesus talking, we both have access to the, to one, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with me. This is what Jesus is saying, with the saints and members of the household of God. Folks, that's a great place for an amen. We're members. We are fellow citizens with Christ and part of the household of God. And for that reason, the last bullet in this section, we must understand how to guard our hearts against the love for worldly things. And the passage that goes with this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, where uh, the apostle John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Wow. So how do we resist this influence, this, this force that's so strong that, that if it could would, would derail us and cause us to choose poorly, to choose death and destruction instead of life. How then do we live? What do we do? Well, that comes to this little point I've called carefully tending the garden of your mind. And for some reason, and I think maybe the Holy Spirit wanted it this way, I, I missed an earlier bullet. It, would you back up to number three, the second bullet? If you can do that, Candy. Next one. Right here. Here's your homework. If you would take your Bible this week and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is the ammunition that you will need that will help you answer the question that I just asked. How do we protect ourselves from this force? How do, we, how do we be in the world but not of the world? How do we live our lives as kingdom citizens by loving others? It's the only sermon that we have record of Jesus really preaching, and it's outlined in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It, many of you probably have heard of it as the Sermon on the Mount, but it's living instructions. And, and folks, they're not just suggestions. What Jesus is saying in these passages is, this is how you live. He answers that question, how then do we live? 
I'm not sure why he had me delay that until just now, but maybe someone a few minutes ago was at a different place and needed to hear that then. So let's go forward to that last point if we could. I, I call this last one carefully tending the garden of your mind. And I wrote in your notes, the choice to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves is our daily mission. How we think about ourselves and how we think about the Father has a huge bearing on our ability to fulfill the mission and choose life. And I I, I referenced Isaiah Uh, 49 in my own notes here because that's where God talks of himself as the potter and calls all of creation including you and me the clay and he says does the clay say to the potter shape me like this and and do like this and put handles here no 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 no. I'm the potter you're the clay I fashion you I created you if you're going to have significance if your life is going to matter and have meaning then you're going to have to understand how I crafted and created you A very important principle in this tending of the garden of our mind is understanding the seed. How many of you know and understand that you reap what you sow? Have any of you heard that before? I started hearing that when I was a little boy from my mom. Son, be careful how you live because what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. It is a spiritual truth. You can write down Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the point that I'm making here is that the seed that we sow into our minds is not found in this world system and this world method and in this planet. The seed that we need to sow a a well-tended garden that bears good fruit is only going to be found as we set our minds on things above and discipline our minds to understand what this book has to say. Amen? Now I'm just going to tell you folks, and I mean I'm, I'm probably I, I just, I, I'm like many of you probably are. I, I went for years and I would read scripture sporadically You see, I was under a false assumption, a misguided notion that, well, if my heart's really in it, it's really kind of a waste of time, right? Because after all, I'm not going to glean a lot out of it, and I don't really understand. Wrong. See, it doesn't matter how I feel or what my attitude towards it is. Scripture tells us to study and show ourselves approved, a workman not ashamed, rightfully dividing the worth of truth. And if you want to succeed at this, seriously, if you want to be pleasing to the Father and choose life, if you want to learn how to love others, it's, it's the only way that you're going to be able to do that is to invest time into this book and understand what the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you because that's how he, that's how he works. When we open our minds to Scripture and we spend time reading, the Spirit of God speaks to us And we are changed. How many of you have experienced that in your lives at one time or another? See, folks, look around the room. I'm not just making this up. This is truth. We also must tend the garden of your mind. Next point, Romans 8, 6 through 8. If we don't 
tend this garden of our mind, it will eventually be overrun by weeds and choked to death. The seeds of worldly thought patterns will choke our souls, pollute our minds, and damage our hearts unless properly dealt with. And here's what Romans 8, 6 through 8 says. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But I'm going to trust here today that at least for us, that there are a few, if any of us, that are in that category. And most of us are in this last category where we invite the master gardener to do the tending in our hearts and in our minds so that we're able to love him and love others fully, proving beyond any shadow of any doubt that we're his disciples. And you can write down these scriptures. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, and this is what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So not only do we have a choice, we're defined by the choice. The, the, the choice really is a narrow gate. It's, it's like two railroads. It's, there's not a lot of room for variance. We either love others by choosing to surrender and die and letting go of our rights and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in our hearts so that we can love others the way we love ourselves, or, or, or we just don't, and we make excuses. We have to understand the world in which we live, and we have to carefully tend the garden of our mind. Now, a, a, a few minutes ago, I talked about cultural megatrends, and I'm going to give you an example of a cultural megatrend. Are you ready? It's coming in just a moment. This is a little video that came out on YouTube about 30 days ago. In 30 days, five and a half million people have watched this. How many of you remember Mr. Rogers? Okay, watch. Watch this. Maybe if I press this button. This is a cassette player with a little cassette in here, and there's nothing written on it, so we'll just have to play it to see what it is. Do you ever imagine things? Are they scary things? Are they scary things? Do you ever imagine things? Do you ever imagine things you'd like to have? Did you ever see a cat's eyes in the dark and wonder what they were? What they were? Did you ever pretend about things like that? Did you ever pretend about things like that? Did you ever grow anything in the garden of your mind? In the garden of your mind. You can grow ideas in the garden of your mind. Curious about many things. You can think about things and make believe. All you have to do is think and they'll grow. Imagine every person that you see is somewhat different from every other person in the world. Some can do some things, some can do others. Did you ever think of the many things you've learned to do? Many things you've Did you ever grow anything in the garden of your mind? 
You can grow ideas in the garden of your mind. It's good to be curious about many things. You can think about things and make believe. All you have to do is think and they'll grow. Did you feel like going like that? Let's give the fish some food. Mr. McFeely, I didn't order any wishes. That's what they call a slide whistle. Did you feel like going like that? There are so many things to learn about in this world, and so many people who can help us learn. And so many people who can help us learn. Did you ever grow anything in the garden of your mind? Ideas in the garden of your mind. It's good to be curious about many things. You can think about things and make believe. All you have to do is think. You can think about things and make believe. All you have to do is think, and they'll grow. I look forward to meeting. Fred Rogers someday in glory. He's a brother in Christ, in fact, was a, a Presbyterian pastor. And you might be sitting here thinking, oh, Pastor Mark, that was a little edgy on a Sunday morning, really. We're going to show Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. But folks, you know what? Truth is truth. And, and it is true that you can learn lots of things from many people, but there's only one who will teach you things that will enable you to make the choice that you need to make, amen? And he's the one whose voice you need to learn to listen to and understand. I'm gonna invite the worship team up, and as they come, I'm gonna leave you with this thought. Uh, Before sharing it, let me mention that the epilogue of the book, Enemies of the Heart, if, if you're reading that book, and maybe you haven't got there yet, maybe you've already read it, but Andy Stanley sums up the truths in that book, but he also really connects this piece that we talked about today with that, this whole thing of loving others. And, and so I encourage you to read the epilogue if, if you haven't read any of it. I encourage you to read the whole book if you haven't yet. And, and so the team's going to come and they're going to sing a song called Holy Reflection, which is what I believe God has designed us to be for the world, that we reflect his holiness and his beauty. And before they sing, I want to wrap up with this. It says, Beloved, beloved, 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitute, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Listen to these words. You might want to join the second time around. Go ahead. Go ahead.